0: My name is Dev, and I uh, co-lead one of the MCs, uh, one of the small groups that our church runs. And I really like teaching, so um, yeah, I really enjoy being up here and getting to share something with you guys. Um, and I'm sorry about my voice. I had a cold this week, like everybody did after Christmas. So if, if my voice is more gravelly, sorry, or maybe it'll be more enjoyable. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> so I was thinking about if you can notice, if what do you start to notice when you become a better person? Can you notice that you're becoming a better person? What sort of things happen in your life? Um, like I was thinking, do you realize that you're being more generous, or do you all of a sudden notice that you're nicer to everybody and just in general more kind? Um, or do you spend just more time listening to people instead of talking? And I think what it boils down to is when you grow as a person, when you grow uh, into Christ, when you grow under Christ, you become more people conscious, if that makes sense. You become more conscious of just people in general. And what I think starts to happen is you see the needs of people more. You start to notice people more and give people more attention. Uh, your heart is drawn towards those um, who are especially love deficient or they're needy or they're lonely or they're lowly. And I think that God creates within you a heart that sees other people, not just yourself, because you start to understand other people as God sees them. You start to see them through his eyes. I think specifically what happens is God helps you to understand um, that every individual person has value and that every person is made in the image of God. And these are two of the most fundamental truths about humanity, about humankind which you can derive from just the, the very beginning of the Bible, from the start of Genesis. It's firstly that humans are made in God's image, obviously, and what that entails is that we are unlike anything else in God's creation. The second thing you learn is that God intentionally created every single person, that not one person is worthless, that no one is undeserving of love or care or community or attention. And and here's something compelling out of that thought and hopefully it's not too controversial if you've read the Bible it's that humankind is the creation that is most like God and therefore it is the most important part of creation and that's not a humanistic view of the Bible that's 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 just the gospel is that the son of God came to earth as a human to do what to save humanity why because God loves humanity most of all why because humanity is most like himself. Remember, God's purpose in doing anything is to apportion more glory to himself, right? Everything is for his glory. So he made creation for his glory, and he reconciled humanity back to himself for his glory. Okay, in Psalm 19 we read this, the heavens proclaim the glory of the Lord. And then Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. All of history was written to currently, right now, and also eventually glorify God. And at the end of time, we obviously know that everything in creation will inevitably worship God and glorify him. So what we know about humans is that God wanted every one of us here it It really is impossible to think that any single person was an accident or a mistake through the lens of the bible that's That's what is really so beautiful about god's Word. The rest of the world and and a whole bunch of systems of religion and philosophy will try to convince you uh something else that that everything is assigned to chance um or that you're just a bag of chemicals in a flesh suit or that you're a, a soul that's being transferred from body to body to body, um, or that you're really not all that of an individual anyway, and you're part of a collective, or that your you know, highest purpose is not to serve yourself, but to serve society. But knowing that God created individuals, that is the ethos behind the church's culture of social work and hospitality and our morals, When every human has value, those that are particularly vulnerable or they're needy or they're desperate, they deserve our care and attention, right? This is why the church stands so staunchly on pro-life morals, because we know that each and every human, including those who are unborn, are precious image bearers, created intentionally by an almighty God. This is why Christians are first in line for adoption, first in line for foster care. This is why humanitarian efforts usually have a Christian name. It's because underneath that framework of of love that we all know and stand by is this really robust and this foundational theology of God's overwhelming love and desire for relationship with every human that he created, right? So the word of God relates that God knew you, he wanted you, and so, according to his unlimited power and sovereignty, he spoke you into being, and of course, you know new age thinking and like postmodern culture kind of infiltrates that um, and distorts that idea to a harmful degree when you hear things like uh you know you're such an individual that you can really decide whatever you want to do with your own identity, you can really decide whatever you want to do with your life um Things like, you know, you only have one life, therefore just do whatever you want to do and kind of abandon all sense of selflessness and just serve your own self interest. But the beauty of being created by a loving Father and a perfect Creator is that God gives you an identity, right? And He revels in you discovering who He made you to be. And we trust that God's version of of who he wants us to be is greater than anything that we could aspire to be or force ourselves to be, and that furthermore that God alone can give us a wonderful purpose that gives us meaning and it gives us a reason to be here. And now this is a New Year's message, obviously, Um, it's supposed to be hopeful, and All I'm really trying to do here is is just convince you that God specifically created you, and he forgives you. Um, And I think that I can do it with just one scripture. So we're going to turn to Psalm 8. Um, And as you do that, I'll pray. Lord God, um, I'm just standing before a bunch of people that you created and that you love. Um, Each one of us has... A story and a testimony um, and a reason for being here and a reason for sitting down and listening and you know all that uh, better than even we ourselves do and so we just pray that we could sit underneath you this morning um, and really just revel in our place in creation and uh, just love you um, God and and, and understands um, Lord just how how special you made us and uh, that you love. Uh, each person here, God, and that you created them for a reason. Um, Pray that you would unfold that purpose before us today and that we would be able to think about it and just, um, yeah, really allow ourselves to breathe it in and uh, understand why it is um, that you created us and why it is that you um, decided to save us. So we just pray these things in the name of your son. Amen. Hmm, Wrong one. Okay, we're in Psalm 8. title of the psalm is How Majestic Is Your Name? It's written by David. It goes like this. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. And when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the Son of Man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the seas, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! I, I it's really just simple short psalm. Um it doesn't say, you know, too much but I think it's just packed with so many uh truths about about people, um about yourself, about uh the gospel, about Jesus. Um I I really just like it a lot and I kind of want to explore what makes it so good? Um, so the big themes that we're wrapping our heads around in this psalm are basically everything that I just introed with. It talks about God's glory. It talks about creation, um, humanity. It talks about man's purpose. Just just look in the psalm about everything that's mentioned that God made here. And just you know, these nine verses, David mentions uh, the heavens. He mentions babies. He, he mentions the moon, stars, man. He mentions angels and sheep, and oxen, and everything on land, and birds, and fish, and everything in the ocean. And what then does David place the emphasis on out of all of that? What is man that you are mindful of him? David, I imagine, you know, sits in a field um, or just stands, you know, on a terrace somewhere. He looks up, sees uh, the moon, and it's bright in the sky and it's illuminating this entire Mediterranean countryside and the stars are twinkling and dancing in this pitch black sky and they're millions and millions of miles away and there's so many of them he can't count them by hands yet all he can think about is that God cares about mankind more than any of them he can't even rationalize why everything around him is so big and so bright and it it seems to do a much better job at glorifying God Yet a baby shares the glory of God. How? Because God is mindful and cares for us. God crowned us humans with glory and honor intentionally and specifically. God wanted humanity to reflect himself and gave him the purpose of being responsible for the rest of his creation, right? I mean, you you just can't come to any other conclusion reading the Bible that the entire word of God points to Jesus as the center of history, come to redeem mankind back to God, and close the divide between us once and for all. Then, together with all creation, every human eventually will acknowledge and worship God rightfully as he deserves, and we enjoy our sonship and our dominion together with him for eternity. So what are any of us that he is mindful of us? you think about what the Bible says um, about humans. It says that he breathed, you know, the breath of life into our nostrils, and that he saw your unformed substance, and that he knit you together in your mother's womb, and that he knows how many hairs are on your head, and that he knows every word you're about to say. He says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He says you're more valuable than many sparrows, these are the words of a father who is obsessed with loving his kids and who reminds them over and over again through his words of their identity as he's given them, a created and individually cared for son or daughter of God. And then we come to verse 5, and let's wrap our this uh, our before we continue. It says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And that, I mean, can definitely be confusing when all I've been talking about is just how cool and special humans are, right? That angels are somehow higher than us, but yeah, but in a way that you might not be thinking about. Humans are created in the image of God, like I've already mentioned, so what that all encompasses we're not exactly sure, but we do know that that means that every human has a soul, Uh and that we have a spiritual aspect to ourselves that is just as certain and as real as our physical body. Do angels have that? I'm not entirely sure. We, I mean, we can make inferences about it, but we don't have specific scriptures to uh, support it. But what we do know is that humans are bound to time and space and are you know die eventually, we're subject to death. Humans are confined to our flesh, um, and we only have a specific amount of time on earth to spend that God ordains for us. And spiritual beings, uh, they don't operate with those same restraints, right? They, they, they are, they're more powerful than us. They have more longevity than us. So it would hold um, you know, that, that humans are lower than angels, but there's certainly another way of looking at this. Um, I ran across a good commentary by Joseph Benson, uh, who's this Methodist minister. Uh, he was a contemporary of John Wesley, and he writes this. Such was man as he came out of the hands of his maker in his primeval state. He was lower than the angels because by his body he was allied to the earth and to the beasts that perish. But as by his soul, which was spiritual and immortal, he was near akin to the angels. He might truly be said, to be but a little lower than they, and was in order next to them. In fact, a better translation might be, thou makest him once but a little from God, or again, hast made him little less than divine. So David's conclusion with verse 5, comparing humanity to the angels or to the rest of creation, is that God made us just a little less than his own divinity. And don't hear me wrong here. This psalm is not David saying, look at how special us humans are. We're pretty close to God, right? That's not the complete thought, and it finishes well in the next couple of verses. He says, You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So it's through our understanding of God and through our relationship with him, our constant striving to know him better, um, that we retrieve our purpose and our meaning in life. Every other human that doesn't know him can't say the same, that they have a definitive purpose, that they have a definitive meaning for being here. They can, of course, create their own, or they can uh, have it assigned to them by some other system, but divinely, God gives us a reason to being here, and that's unique to us and us alone. It isn't, you know, just enough to claim the identity uh, that he 's given us through our adoption in God, but also we need to understand how living according to god 's will for our life, it grounds us on this earth for our temporary residency. Here. Uh, it really is a fallacy, and one that i 've you know become a victim to a lot of times um, to think that you know okay you 're saved, and now I just step into this waiting room for heaven, and I just wait my entire life in this waiting room and then eventually I'll hear my number called and then I'll get to go to heaven. That's not true. Not only has God given you identity, but he also gives you a meaningful reason to follow him with your life day by day. The word dominion here in this psalm is is a callback uh, to Genesis where God gives Adam this goal to be fruitful, to increase in number, to fill the earth, subdue it. All those things talk about dominion. Dominion basically meaning uh, the power and the authority uh, to rule over the rest of creation. So here we understand that the whole earth is subject to humankind, who in turn is subject to our creator God. That is why we can say that humankind is the most important part of all of creation, specifically You know, that that one guy who used his free will and humanity to obey God instead of sin and then died, and we'll talk about him later, hopefully. Well, we will. So God does all this, meaning, you know, create humans, create the earth, uh, and then send Jesus down to save us because he's intentional in his sovereign plan. He had the entire design, you know, before everything started. He didn't just fall into it. There's no degree of, of happenstance or randomness in God's plan. Some people fail to realize just how big and how powerful God is for a long time. For no real fault of their own. But then you read in this psalm that the heavens and the moon and the stars, some that dwarf you know, the size of our entire planet, are made by his fingers, says verse 3 that really contextualizes just how powerful and how majestic and how massive God is in orchestrating the plan for the entire universe. Not only that, but God sustains the entire universe every second we sit here. Were it not for his sustenance, everything would just fall apart. There would be no creation left for us. Not only that, but we know that Christ is preeminent overall, which beyond the importance for his status as someone that we worship and obey, What preeminence really means is that he's before all things, that he's in, uh, in him all things hold together. And so then we come to God creating us as individuals. And when God then creates you, you specifically, why do we have trouble believing that he wanted you, that he wanted us specifically, that he loves us? me specifically, that he's forgiven me specifically. Oftentimes, I mean, we just run into this brick wall of my life, I don't know what its meaning is, I don't know what my value is, I think my worth is depreciating, that there's no room for me. Uh, All that is just Satan trying to convince you of something else because... What does the Bible tell you? What does the Bible tell you about yourself? What is God trying to convince you every time you read it? I'll give you help. Um, Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 5 will tell you. It says, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, He who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Now listen to this. This is, this is God communicating to you. This is what he wants you to hear. Verse 4. Since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. What what does that verse mean if it's not the gospel? That you are so precious, that he loves you so much, that you have so much value, that God saved you. Think about this. This 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 is a wild thought. Christ's death paid for everyone's debt uh, and everyone's sin, but it also paid for yours specifically. And Christ died for all, of course, but he also died for you specifically. And he came to forgive humanity generally, but he also came to forgive you specifically. Is that not something that we should be thanking God for? That me specifically, he wanted to save just as much as everybody else in humanity. It's impossible to make contact with the words in the Bible every day and to write them on our hearts, and to have a relationship with Father God, and to come to any other conclusion besides, He loves me. He adores me. He created me to come into relationship with Him, and worship, and obey Him. He has my best interest in mind. It's, it's, it's really interesting, because you can only experience your life through your own eyes. You can't experience anybody else's life, and certainly nobody can experience your life through your eyes, your entire life has been witnessed only by you and no other human, and you've lived your entire life inside of your own head, thinking and processing it all. And think about how often you want to serve your own self-interest, and think about how you just do it unconsciously so many times, you just want to do what's best for you, and we're so self-obsessed with our own image, and our own goals, and our own emotions, and our own finances... And everything that we do seems to serve ourselves. But God not only knows more about you than you do, he also cares for you and loves you more than you do yourself. And again, I don't want you to hear me wrong here. God doesn't exist just to, you know, advance your own self-interests and, you know, to, to cater to everything that you want. In fact, you know, praise God that he actually does the opposite, that his supreme care um, his love for us means that he denies us of our flesh and our desires. And the Spirit works inside of us to move our lives in the direction that God wills for us, not what we want for ourselves. And, I mean, that often means sacrifice. It often means pain. It often means suffering. And and fittingly, what it also means is that it involves self-denial. So his, his his care for you, God's love for you, His love for your soul means that he's not going to leave you in your own debasement and debauchery, but he's going to call you to something greater, better than yourself, something higher and grander. And no one can love you more than him. No one can have your absolute best interest in mind other than him. And he proved it once and for all. So let's turn to Hebrews 2. And we'll start in verse 5, and I'll wait for you. I think it's going to be in the 900 somewhere. Uh, Page 941 if you're in the house Bible, and then the word Hebrews in the number 2 if you're in your phone Bible. through suffering, so that gives a little bit more context to Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is a prophecy about Jesus, even more than it's just you know a comforting scripture to us humans. Hopefully, that Son of Man verse kind of clued you into where we are headed today. The author of Hebrews knew this and he wrote about it, uh, and he quotes Psalm 8 directly here to explain uh, the reason for Christ's incarnation. Incarnation just meaning Jesus being born as a human. It explains his suffering, and it explains his death, and it explains his resurrection. So our place as humans in God's order of creation is directly tied to the purpose of the entire gospel. It's directly tied. Verse 9 says it as succinctly as anywhere else in the Bible. Uh, it says, God himself condescended, which means he subjected himself to human form, and he suffered and he died. Why? So that you and I would no longer be condemned to death for our sins. I, you know, if I could slather this with some more Christianese, but I think I'd lose the point. I mean, basically what this is saying is that God loves you, he wants to be with you, and to make that happen, he sent Jesus to die for you and pay that penalty. So where does this all end? How does this all conclude? Well, I gave you the answer already. It's in the middle of verse 9. It says glory and honor. I you know, I read it again in verse 5 of Psalm 8, it says glory and honor. Everything worked up to Jesus, and his death and resurrection earning, you know, us or earning himself glory and honor, and then us afterwards. Everything after points towards Jesus, and he'll eventually receive all glory and honor. Again, this is that word preeminence coming back into play. This is basically what that means. Jesus is the center of all human history. So then I just want to ask, is our love reciprocal for God? Do we send that love back to him when we enjoy his own care for us? Is our own uh, natural reaction to God's unending care for us to then love him back, to obey him back, to worship him? Or... Does it take some effort to dredge that out of us when we want to thank God for everything that he's done for us? I think like sometimes I'll have a like a great day, a perfect day in my book. I do a whole bunch of things that I really like uh and then I'll get into bed and then I'll realize I didn't think about God a single time. And that's I'm I'm I that's a tragedy. It's, you know, it's sad that I don't think about him and thank him for A great day. You know, he gives me, you know, sunlight, and I get to have a nice meal, and I get to enjoy, you know, this house that he's given me and a car that he's given me, and it doesn't occur to me to just praise him like a single time. I wish it wasn't the case, but it's true. I wish, I wish, um, that the language of my heart, uh, resembles what we find in the Psalms so many times, where it's overflowing in this awe for God, in this worship for God, in this praise for God. Um, so I wanted myself to kind of uh, dwell in the psalms for a little bit longer. So over the summer, what I did was I read through all the psalms, and in my phone, I just kind of cataloged sort of what the themes were of each psalm. One, so that I could spend a lot of time reading the psalms, so that I could, if I needed to, you know, reference psalms by topic individually. Um, but anyway, something that I found was that there are so many psalms that are praise psalms. There are so many. There's 150 psalms uh, in the book of psalms. And how many of them are about praise? 50. So one out of every three psalms is a praise psalm. And this is something that's also cool. I, and, and be wary, this is a list, so you will be listening to a list. Don't tune me out. Uh, I just want you to hear how many psalms... The very first verse of that psalm tells you, instructs you to praise God. And, and, and to make sure that you don't tune me out, my challenge for you is just to look in these verses for how many different ways the psalmist is instructing you to praise God. How is he telling you to do it? Big list coming up. Let me drink water. <clears throat> this is the first verse of all these psalms. Psalm 33, verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 48, verse 1. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. Psalm 65, verse 1. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. Psalm 75, verse 1. We praise God, we praise you. For your name is near. People tell of your wonderful deeds. Psalms 92 verse 1. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. Psalm 103 verse 1. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Psalm 105 verse 1. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. And then this is a long girl list of how many psalms begin with praise the Lord. Psalm 106, verse 1, praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Psalm 111, verse 1, praise the Lord, I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the council of the upright and in the assembly. Psalm 113, verse 1, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, you as servants, praise the name of the Lord. Psalm 117, verse 1, praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you peoples. Psalm 134, verse 1, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Psalm 135, verse 1, Praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, praise him, you servants of the Lord. Psalm 138, verse 1, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. Psalm 146, verse 1, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 147, verse 1, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praises fitting. Psalm 148, verse 1, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise Him in the heights. Psalm 149, verse 1, praise the Lord, Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the godly. Psalm 150, verse 1, praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens. Does this not tell you that the Lord is worthy of our praise, that He thinks about us above everything else in creation? He cares for you even though you spite Him and even though you scorn Him all the time. Ten times we fail, and a hundred times he sustains us still. If you are a child of God, I want you to know that he's not too big for you. In fact, it's actually the opposite. He's so big that he can take care of you. Every decision that you waver on, and every mistake that you make, and every frustration that you feel, and every sad thought that you internalize, I want you to trust it to God. I want you to give it over to God, and he'll remind you, of how valuable you are, how precious you are to him. He'll convince you that you have his DNA. He'll show you the purpose he created you for. If you're tired and depressed with everything that you keep telling yourself, ask God to chime in. He's certainly not going to keep piling on. Just spend time in his presence and investigate his word and find out what he's been wanting to tell you. It'll sound a lot like Isaiah 43, which we read earlier. He'll tell you, you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you. And when you look at your place among all of creation like David did, hopefully the refrain of your heart will be the same as his, where he ends that psalm with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Really my only application for you today is, is which part of Psalm 8 needs the most convincing for you? Are, are you unsure if God has actually set everything in its place that he created everything? Are you questioning if, if he really is mindful of you? Do you not know what, what having dominion over the earth looks like for your life? Um, or like me, are, are you just hoping that his love stays at the forefront of your mind and at the tip of your tongue willing to praise his name for an audience of one or an audience of a lot. Um, I'm going to close with this poem by Isaac Watts. Uh, it's kind of Psalm 8, but different. Uh, and I enjoy what about this poem is that it puts uh, humans in our place, but it also revels in just the mystery of how God loves us even still. Um, this poem is called God's Sovereign and Gracious. The Lord, how fearful is his name, how wide is his command. Nature, with all its mighty frame, lies rolling in his hand. Immortal glory forms his throne and lights his awful robe. With a smile or with uh, with a frown he manages the globe. A word of his almighty breath can swell or sink the seas, build the vast empires of the earth or break them as he please. Adoring angels round him fall in all their shining forms. His sovereign eye looks through them all and pities mortal worms. His bows to our worthless race in sweet compassion move. He clothes his looks with softest grace and takes his title, love. Now let the Lord forever reign and sway us as he will. Sick or in health and ease or pain, we are his favorites still. No more shall peevish passion rise, the tongue no more complain. Tis sovereign love that lends our joys and love resumes again. Will you pray with me? Lord, I need a lot of convincing, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people um, in this room do too, uh, that you care for me, um, that you love me, and that despite everything that I do that's wrong and despite how often I fail, uh, Lord God, that that you created me specifically and that you wanted me Um and that's just a joy to to think about, is that, uh, Lord, that you loved me so much, that you brought me into being, um, and that you gave me this life that I have now. And even though we all walk through our own struggles, and we have trauma, and we have hard things in our past, and we have so much uh, baggage to deal with constantly, at the end of the day, we can come to you, um, and we can read those verses in Psalm 8. We can read those verses in Isaiah 43 and understands that you gave Jesus up um, for us, that we might uh, come back to you and spend eternity with you. We pray that in this new year, Lord, that we could um, really revel in our purpose that you've given us here, um, that we could understand more about the identity that, that we can't create for ourselves, but we instead need to understand in the context of how you created us. Lord God, I pray that we would walk into that each and every day, and that... Um, Lord, that we would read your word and that we would talk to you and that we would talk to our brothers and sisters and understand more and more about who you are and who you made us to be, Um, Lord, and that we could enjoy that with you and and not just sit in this uh, waiting room of salvation, but that we could walk into the purpose that you've given us and into uh, the dominion that you've handed over to us for the earth um, and that we could really enjoy it and understand it more and more, so... Thank you, God, for this psalm and for uh, David who is willing to just put it into words. Lord, how mindful you are of us. Um, Pray that in this uh, upcoming year that we would be able to um, look back at our year and and really just uh, praise you for all that you've done for us and just proclaim how majestic your name is in all the world. Um, And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.